Hey dudes, this is the big game. I'm Justin Hargett. So the Super Bowl's behind us, but despite that fact, this past weekend was a huge one in the sporting world. Uh, going into the weekend, the two best teams in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors and the Atlanta Hawks, who had just won something like 19 or 20 games in a row, uh, were going head-to-head. Unfortunately, uh, nobody wanted to put that on national TV. Uh, so we'll have to talk about that one next time, probably uh, when those two teams meet in the NBA Finals in June. There were also three big soccer derbies. Um, you've got the North London Derby with Arsenal and Tottenham. Uh, that was a pretty thrilling game. You've also got uh, the Liverpool Derby with Everton and Liverpool, two teams that have played each other for over 100 years. Uh, and finally, uh, what was one of the best uh, shocking results of the weekend uh, was the derby in Madrid between Atletico and Real. So which of those games uh, are we going to talk about in the big game this week? That's right, none of them. If you've downloaded the podcast, you know that we're talking about U.S. soccer. The United States women's team lost 2 to nothing to a very good France side playing at home. Uh, These two teams met in the quarterfinals of the last Women's World Cup in 2011, Uh, and that was a really good, very tight match uh, until about the last 10 minutes when the two U.S. heroes, Abby Wambach and Alex Morgan, scored to put the game away. We're looking ahead to the next edition of the Women's World Cup, which takes place in June and July this summer, uh, hosted in Canada on a controversial turf field, uh, which we'll get into in today's discussion. But it seems like a good point to kind of take stock of where the U.S. team is right now uh, and how they're going to fare once they get to the World Cup this summer. And then on the men's side, the U.S. played Panama later in the afternoon, a fellow CONCACAF team, uh, and beat them 2 to nothing with two really, really amazing goals that you should go check out from Michael Bradley, which is just awe-inspiring, and then a a very, very clinical finish from Clint Dempsey. So this summer, the men have something to play for as well. Uh, That'll be the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Uh, A victory in that July tournament will guarantee them a spot in the FIFA Federations Cup, which is a small but very, very elite tournament that always happens before the next World Cup. So many cups. So the win over Panama bodes well for a strong 2015 uh, from the men's national team. On the show this week, we have Sam Vucinich. He's going to talk about both the men's and the women's game. Uh, Sam comes from a soccer family in in an American football town from Ohio, just like me. Uh, And if it weren't for him and his brothers and his dad, then yours truly certainly would not be talking about uh, a soccer-friendly in the middle of February. Uh, So uh, thank you to the Vuciniches. Let's go to that conversation. Hey, Sam, thanks for coming on The Big Game. Of course, it's great to be here. So we watched this past weekend both the men's and women's U.S. soccer friendlies. And some might say that a friendly isn't necessarily a big game. But I think if you take two international friendlies, men's and women's, one shortly after the team has sort of succeeded at the World Cup, 
and one four months before the next team is headed to a World Cup, uh, I think we have enough to talk about that'll make it a big game. So I want to start with uh, the women's friendly against France in France. This is the number two uh, versus the number three nation in the world. What did you think of the game? What did you think of the team? And who impressed you? I Before um, watching it, I didn't realize that France was ranked third. Um, I didn't remember their recent success that well. And um, so it was kind of a pleasant surprise uh, to see just how good they were, especially um, with the World Cup in Canada coming up uh, in four months. Initially, I didn't recognize a lot of the U.S. players, partly because of injury. My favorite player, Megan Rapinoe, was hurt. I guess Alex Morgan has had a lot of um, ankle problems, and she's just coming back after two really long spells away. Um, and Lauren Chaney um, is now Lauren Holiday, which the announcers had to point out for me. And <laughs> yeah. Julie Saudi was forgetting, too, which was kind of funny. Yeah, I heard that one a couple of times, too. But um, I was really impressed with... Um, Carly Lloyd first. Uh, She was the captain of the team um, until Abby Wambach came on as a sub. And she was working out of her normal position. Um, She was out on the left side instead of in in the central midfield. And still, I felt like she got some really good opportunities. Um, And her shots had pace on them, and they were, you know, good scoring chances. Whereas it felt like Alex Morgan had to fight a lot more just to sort of get... Yeah, let me jump in there. So, yeah, I was thinking, I, I wrote down the same thing. As, as Lloyd looked really good, she she was, like, bombing down the wing, and she had a couple of good crosses that she sent in. There was a point in the 23rd minute, I think, where uh, a ball came out to her. She was just outside the box, and she just, like, whipped it um, right at the goalie, and it, it just kind of drifted wide. But she... She definitely looks like a spark that could play a big role once the team gets to the World Cup. And as as far as Alex Morgan, like she, I think, I think she was the best player on the field almost the entire time, um, because she has the flair to kind of beat players one on one, but mm-hmm. she also has the ability to get open and take shots. And and she was certainly uh, happy to take as many shots as she could, which is I think something. Uh, that the, the U.S. team is going to need. But the problem was the midfield just, like, lost possession and lost possession and, and really had a hard time getting uh, the ball to her. Um, and it seemed like the only time they did was on the counterattack. Uh, so I think, you know, I think the U.S. team is... they're in You know, they have some injuries uh, right now, and some of their, you know, star players are getting a little bit older and might be a super sub, like Abby Wambach came in the game. Uh, but I, I think if they can kind of figure out where the midfield is going to be, like who their best players are going to be, then I think they have the rest of the pieces to really succeed. Yeah, and we should probably talk about um, Ashlyn Harris, who is their backup goalie. Um, she, first of all, the U.S. women also have a really great tradition of depth at the goalkeeper position, just like the men's team. Um, and I didn't, I don't remember seeing Ashlyn Harris play before this game, and she made a lot of brilliant saves, um, one which wasn't counted because the officials uh, thought it sailed over the bar, but she'd actually tipped it over. Yeah, yeah, um, that was a good one. And, uh, you know, one of the goals, it was just impossible to save, and 
the other, her defense, it felt like kind of collapsed a bit. They should probably say, you know, give credit to France as well. Um, Tomi was really, really impressive, and she finally just wore the left side of the defense down. Um, she was, I think, number 12 for France. She reminded me a little bit of Marta, uh, Brazil's best player, mm-hmm. a really physical forward who was always involved in the game, and um, you just kind of felt like it was inevitable that she would score or set something up. I mean, she had the assist on the first goal. And also for France, um, a sub in the 75th minute or so, Elise uh, Saglia, was really, really impressive to me. I would have loved to see more of her than, you know, just 15 or 16 minutes. Um, Yeah, I guess that's the the fate of the uh, soccer fan that watches the friendly. Yeah. You've you've kind of got to watch it, you know, as a competitive match for about 60 minutes, and then you've kind of got to turn off your fan mode. And just start thinking analytically about, all right, well, now who's on the field and how well are they going to play and and are they going to be able to succeed, you know, once it really comes time for a competition. Yeah. And one thing I also really loved, and this was true throughout the game, um, kind of no matter who was on the field, uh, it's a little more obvious um, for the United States when Abby Wambach was on as there was kind of like a, a jolt in the offense. But both teams were unafraid to shoot from beyond like 10 yards out. Yeah. It really frustrated watching games where people just have the ability to take shots on goal, but just don't. Choose not to. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the save that you were talking about um, that Ashlyn Harris made, the fingertip over the bar, that shot was incredible. I think uh, whoever the French player was, they were about 30 yards out. I think it was Henri. Yeah. Yeah, vintage Henri, actually. Yeah, no relation uh, to Thierry Henri, but yeah, it was that was a laser. But it was, it was curling down, and it was going to go right into the net, like right under the crossbar if she hadn't got a fingertip on it. Um, but yeah, the, the I think France looked killer. I mean, I didn't think the U.S., even though they lost 2 nothing, I never thought that the U.S. was really out of the game, nor yeah. did I think they looked really poor. Um, at the same token... Uh, France just dominated. I, I think the U.S. had plenty of shots and opportunities. Um, so, you know, there's, I think there's probably some criticism there against the French defense. But overall, they held the ball and they peppered the goalie quite a bit. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. So what do you think? Uh, looking ahead to the World Cup, do you think the U.S. can win? I mean, this is, our, this is the most successful national soccer team uh, that we've ever had to World Cup victories, four Olympic golds, um, or do you think you know France, who's just beaten Germany and Brazil and now the U.S., is this their year? I'm honestly, I it could go to either one of them, and I I'll have to see more of the women's teams as well. Um, for the United States, we still have basically the same core um, as four years ago when we had all those really great games with. Um, you know, going down to the wire with Japan and our players aren't that old. There's a lot of, you know, the same sort of chemistry with the team. Mm-hmm. It's been there for a while. The coach is new. Um, but again, if it is Ashlyn Harrison net, she seemed very comfortable and, you know, asserting herself, um, which is great to see in a keeper. And I also would have liked to see more of Kristen Press, who was one of the people that I felt like maybe later in the game had more opportunity, but she was just taking shots, um, you know, as soon as she was in range and not, you know, 15 to 20 yards after she was in range. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, a lot's going to depend on injuries. Of course, um, Megan Rapino was kind of the spark behind, I felt like, a lot of the U.S.'s 
goals, um, even when Abby Wambach put him in. Um, yeah, her crosses were really something to behold in the last World Cup. Yeah. Um, she sort of plays like a David Beckham role for the U.S. national team. And, you know, our women's team have a history. The U.S. has won World Cups. That's often, you know, you'll hear announcers or whoever say that the U.S. has never won a World Cup, but they're just referring to the men's team. Um, our women's team is one of the best in the world. And France um, is one of the teams that I'm going to look forward to watching in um the group stages as well. You know, as a U.S. fan, it's going to be, you know, not my favorite opponent. <laughs> um, but, you know, on the other hand, it will be one of my favorite opponents because they played a fantastic game. And, you know, again, I think they'll get out of the group stage without, you know, really knowing all of the other teams that, that are in their group. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the politics of turf. Uh, but first, I think we should just kind of set up, you know, this game was played on turf, and the entirety of the Women's World Cup is going to play on turf. Um, and, you know, from a from a regular fan's perspective, you might be like, oh, well, you know, they play American football on turf, like, what's the big deal? Um, but in actuality, this is one of the biggest um, uh, gripes and concerns that any uh, professional soccer player ever has when they're playing, especially um, when players come to MLS and they have to go to New England or Seattle or Portland, and you know these are these are athletes that are used to playing on like pristine, perfect grass um, in other countries uh, if they're coming from Europe, and then they come here and they have to play on kind of this artificial surface that is much harder. The ball doesn't uh, react the same way on turf. Um, it's harder on their knees. Thierry Henry had to sit out almost every game that he ever played on turf for the New York Red Bulls um, because of. Uh, his kind of chronic Achilles injury. So here we are. Um, we're coming up on, you know, the biggest tournament in the women's game this summer, the World Cup. And FIFA says, you guys are just going to have to play on turf because those are the venues we have uh, for whatever reason. I, I don't you know, know the specifics of it, but it just it seems totally backward for, for FIFA to take this stance, this kind of anti-athletic, anti-player stance. Um, so what's it going to take for the women's game to kind of finally achieve equal footing in FIFA's eyes? I really don't know, other than FIFA completely changing its um, politics and chemistry and personnel and really everything about it. Yeah, everything about uh, it. After, after its you know second or third birthday. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know how they can really... You justify having, you know, so many games on turf. If it is, you know, it's all of them, and that's, you know, not a knock against Canada. And I don't, I'm not in favor of building huge mega stadiums. I but just, it does seem like there ought to be a compromise. Like, you don't need to build a like just put grass down on top of the turf field. You know, they've done it before for um, the U.S. men's games. So like, yeah, in Detroit in '94. Uh, yeah, so, like, let's just... I, I mean, it, I think it just comes down to money, and they don't want to spend the money, and that's, like, just really terrible. That's really... Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, again, with turf, um, it, it changes really everything about how you play. Um, a casual viewer may not notice, but, you know, you obviously wear different shoes. You have to pace passes differently. You have to time runs differently. 
Um, if you have ankle problems like Alex Morgan, that's a huge thing. Uh, you know, you can't slide as much. Cutting is a lot di more difficult. So yeah, it really it really changes. You know how you approach just the most minute details, um, and that's really huge. And like you know, small things can throw you off. Um, having said that, you know all of these teams are very very good, and you know they've played on turf before. But it's just really frustrating that they're not, you know, given the best possible um, environment to to play. Yeah. Well, I hope that, you know, maybe a miracle will happen and somebody up at FIFA will, will realize what a mistake they're, they're doing here. But, I mean, they've even made Gareth Bale play on turf uh, in a friendly this past fall. Um, I think when Wales went to um, a smaller European nation that I can't recall where they only have a turf field. Mm. Um, so it, it doesn't seem like anything's going to change, but... But uh, we'll see, and, and hopefully, hopefully the World Cup won't be too affected by the play on turf, and hopefully nobody gets injured because of it. Yeah. But let's uh, let's jump ahead here to the uh, second part of the double header from Sunday, which was the, uh, the United States men's national team taking on a regular Concacaf opponent Panama um, in a two to nothing victory uh, up in LA. So. Uh, what did you think of the game? I mean, obviously, Michael Bradley's Olympico, his uh, his goal from the corner kick was probably the, the biggest highlight. Um, but was there anything else that excited you about the uh, the U.S. men's team? Um, and are you looking forward to the Gold Cup this summer? Um, I am. And, yeah, our team's mostly unchanged um, from the one that, really surprised last summer I caught mostly the second half of this one Bradley's goal is that's a career highlight real one um, you know again the stage was a little smaller for this but it was still a, a packed stub hub center that I keep wanting to say Home Depot <laughs> well um, and it sounds like the uh, from what the commentators were saying is that now that Chivas USA has finally been eliminated from the MLS, and the Galaxy have the StubHub Center all to their to themselves. They're dumping like fifteen million dollars of renovations into it. And I'm like, all right, that's that's great and fantastic, but like, you couldn't have done that with two teams. Like, you couldn't have like done the renovations you wanted to, to make the stadium nicer until the other team left. Uh, sure, okay. <laughs> um, but our our team is. Our team is mostly the, the same that we watched um, last summer. Uh, what worried me was um, Yedlin walking off very slowly. He was also one of my favorites to um, see talking on Twitter when the U.S. wasn't playing. Um, I think Josie might have uh, come off with an injury um, as well to just sort of precautionary. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the goals were by Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey. I can't remember who set up uh, Dempsey's, but it was... It was uh, Giassi Zardes, the other, uh, the Galaxy striker. Right, an L.A. native, I believe. Yeah. Um, which is was really cool for him um, to be that involved and uh, get an assist in his home stadium. But yeah, I was kind of surprised how close this was to the A-team, especially compared to the women's game, who have, again, a World Cup in four months. Um, so it... 
it seems like Klinsman's pretty set in his personnel, at least for now. He's not really experimenting with who's on the field too much, uh, the formation he is. But, um, you know, personnel-wise, it was a lot of the the names that even a casual fan that just kind of started watching last summer would recognize, um, which is kind of great to see. Yeah, this this team was certainly MLS-heavy. I mean, you've got... I think we've kind of decided, you know, for for the foreseeable future, going into Gold Cup, going into next year's Copa America, the core of this team is going to remain Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey, Josie Altidore, and Jermaine Jones, although Jermaine Jones has now drifted back to uh, the center back position. But you've also got uh, a bunch of national team players that have just recently arrived for the first time or um, re-arrived in MLS in Breck Shea, Mixed Discarude, um, and then and a couple of MLS homegrown guys, uh, Matt Beisler and Jesse Sardes. So the January camp is kind of interesting because there aren't a lot of other friendlies going on right now uh, around the world. And this is always kind of happens because this is the down period for MLS. They haven't quite started back yet. Um, so the American team has always been able to draw from their player pool and kind of you know set up some friendlies to get ready for the year. Um, but now that so many of uh, the team's starters are playing in MLS again, this, like you said, this was really the A team, um, or at least a version of it. Um, the only people you're really missing are uh, maybe Brad Guzon in goal, you know, playing in Aston Villa in England, uh, as well as you know the the horde of uh, players that are in Germany, you know, uh, Fabian Johnson on the right, um, as well as uh, spacing on his name right now, but the the amazing center back that scored the uh, the header uh, in the World Cup. So, you know, is this the deepest team the U.S. has ever had right now? Um, once we get these the the uh, the players that are abroad come back into the team, I feel like the teams sort of in the the mid to late nineties were very very deep, but mm-hmm. also much less successful. More our more recent World Cups. Um, in particular, you know, Landon Donovan's games come to mind. And then, um, you know, he was left off the roster for Brazil in 2014, which was pretty controversial. Um, but Jurgen Klinsmann seems to know pretty strongly who he wants mm-hmm. um, to be carrying over pretty much the same lineup. Um, as weird as it is to see someone else wearing the number 10 shirt for the first time in quite a while. Um, besides Lena Donovan or Claudia Reyna. I'm really, really excited for where our team's going. I know we're, you know, sort of, quote-unquote, like, behind schedule of where we kind of expected to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we could take on anyone and, and give them a really good match. Um, we're not, you know, the best in the world yet, but they're certainly on their way there. And, you know, I'm not just taking that from... Um, a two nothing win uh, at home. Yeah, and and even though they lost to Chile, um, you know, a week before the Panama game, they still looked good in that game uh, for the most part. It was just kind of towards the end of the game that you know they kind of fall apart a little bit and give up a goal. But these are just friendlies, um, and you know, I guess they had the same problem in the World Cup. But you know, I kind of hope that by the time the next tournament rolls around in July that Klinsman will have kind of figured it out and his players will be, you know, fit and ready to play and, and will be their, uh, to use a terrible phrase, their best selves. 
but that kind of leads me to my last question, which is, you know, I think this team is really on the verge of, of mega success because if you look at the growth of the game in the U.S. over just the last five years, it's, it's astounding. You know, the, the number of teams in MLS is increasing. Uh, the, the people that are going to the games here in the U.S., it's just the numbers are rising and rising and rising. Um, and then you look at, at the players and, and who's getting called up. You know, th there's a second division of soccer in America that uh, I don't think a lot of people, a lot of the casual fans talk about, and that's the NASL. And uh, in this game, uh, one of the best players from that division, uh, Miguel Ibarra, got his first start ever for the men's team. So, like, the player pool here in this country is getting really deep right now, uh, especially with all of the available leagues and the higher quality of the leagues. Uh, and so coming up in the next, uh, I think it's the next couple of weeks, right before the MLS season starts, um, the Players Union is actually threatening to go on strike. Um, and their biggest issue is, you know, wanting to have free agency finally for the first time, which is, you know, something we've seen happen 40 years ago in most of the other major sports um, in America. So to me, in my opinion, I think if, if they can win this, um, if they can win the collective bargaining agreement, and actually get real free agency, you know, I think the, the, the level of class um, in American soccer, uh, you know, the domestic league is just going to jump. It's going to skyrocket. Um, and I think that's really the last barrier um, for the national team successes. Once you've got all of these great stars back playing on our shores again, but now you've increased the quality of the opponents they play every single week, they're just going to be better. And then when they come around to the Gold Cup or they come around, you know, to the uh, Copa America next year, which has a lot of teams from South America in it, they're going to be really good. Um, they're already good, but I think the day-to-day the -day of their training is going to be a lot better, and I think that's something Klinsman has been fighting for. Um, so what do you think? I mean, do you think the, uh, the union has a chance to kind of buck the trends of major sports and actually, you know, get a better settlement from their collective bargaining agreement? I think that's probably inevitable. Um, again, it's constantly been, you know, the fastest growing sport. Our teams, our national team success um, will certainly have helped that cause. Um, the league is definitely, the MLS is definitely more exciting than it was even, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, it's, again, only, you know, about... 20 seasons in you're almost there i think they do have a shot that's just sort of a, a a gut feeling and part of it is um you know the success that the national team has had and one of the things that, that helps that as well is Concacaf is a very competitive region and i think uh, as we all saw in the world cup south america is more than just argentina brazil i was thrilled to see how good Colombia was and how fun Costa Rica was. And, you know, I think sort of everyone, um, if you didn't fall in love with like James Rodriguez, you weren't watching the games. Yeah. Um, and you know, except for the giving up seven goals to Germany, granted it was to Germany, <laughs> uh, you know, saving that, um, Brazil is still a really fun team to watch. So I think the more games we play, you know, the more friendlies we have against um, teams from the Americas will be, 
you know, really good for a national team. And, you know, we might have a chance to lure some of those players. Um, you know, we might, you yeah, know, that's a great point. Able, we might be able to get a James Rodriguez from Monaco as opposed to Real Madrid getting him. Yeah, I think especially next year when a lot of those players come up and are playing in, you know, a number of the facilities here. Um, and by that point, I think we'll probably have a couple more soccer-specific stadiums open. I know San Jose is opening their new stadium this season. Um, Orlando will be opening there soon. Maybe by 2016, there will be something that NYCFC will be playing in that's not a baseball stadium. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, so I'm you know I'm really looking forward to uh, the Gold Cup, which for anyone that doesn't know what we've been talking about, that's the it's the uh, it's the kind of mini World Cup when it's only region specific. So Concacaf is our region, so it's our little knockout tournament with Panama and Honduras and Costa Rica. Uh, so that's coming up in July, and I'm I'm really excited for that tournament this year. Uh, I know the U.S. won't be playing in Southern California, um, unfortunately. I think they're playing in Arizona and New England uh, and possibly Kansas City. Um, so I won't be able to go to any of those games. The tickets are difficult to get anyway, but I'm just excited to go see Costa Rica because I know Costa Rica is going to play uh, at the StubHub Center, and I mean... Costa Rica is the team that went the furthest in the in the World Cup from our region. So you know, there's, they've still got they've still got some really great playmakers on that team. And I think, you know, I think this tournament's going to be fun to watch. And I kind of hope that the hype from the from the World Cup will kind of carry over, and the casual soccer fan can maybe get swept up and in again. Uh, are you looking forward to that this summer? Absolutely. Um, Costa Rica was one of the teams, um, like I said, that. I didn't really know enough about, um, you know, before the opening whistle blew on their first match. And they were not just because they they succeeded, but how they did it was just they were really exciting. And, you know, I love that there's a lot of competition. It's in in our region. It's not just, you know, we have to make sure that we don't lose five nothing to Mexico (laughs) and the Azteca and you know, try to get an away win against Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, every team is going to give us a really tough fight. Um, and that's only going to make our team better. And, you know, just like Klinsman's lineup, I'm, I'm assuming Costa Rica will have a lot of the same players, um, which is great for, um, you know, and sort of all the teams. It, it's going to be great for fans to be able to go see um, a lot of the, the teams that, they may not have known about, but now they do. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the big game, Sam. Thanks for having me. It was great. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the big game. If you haven't yet, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher Radio, leave a review if you like what you hear, drop me a line at Jethro Target on Twitter. I'd love to hear what you think. And stay tuned for more next week on The Big Game.